Uh, my name is Yumiko, one of the pastors, but um, today I'm not preaching, but I'm, I just want to, let's share a little bit before we begin. One of the things I deeply appreciate about Wellspring is the community's desire and willingness, willingness and excitement to affirm, celebrate, and receive the gifts of the each congregational member. And today we get to do that. That's kind of what I received when I first came here. Uh, your, you, all of you are from my gift as a preacher and call me and preach. And we do that for many members of this church. And today we get to do that with uh, one of our newest addition to the preaching team, David Buchanan. Uh, David and Ashley and William has been in attendance for this church for about a year. Ashley is a big part of the nursery and a cake teacher, uh, the wave, wave maker. So some of the parents and the family might know Ashley really well. Um, David is somebody who's theologically trained in a Princeton University Seminary and also Boston University. But I think that one of the things that we get to experience today that I'm so looking forward to, that I got to see a glimpse of it in our small groups, is his gift of being able to explain really complex and convoluted things in a simple way that people can understand and appreciate. So today we get to receive his gift, and we're so grateful for God who has gifted him and brought him thus far, and now we get to all enjoy and celebrate. So let's all welcome David, and he's going to lead us in this teaching time. Oh, sorry, before that, we're going to welcome Rico, who's going to also bless us with his gift, and he's going to read the scripture today. So welcome both of them. Rico and David. Good morning, Wellspring family. Our uh, reading today is from Galatians uh, chapter 3, 1 through 6. If you have your Bibles, or it might, oh, I don't know if it's on the monitor, please follow along with me. You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit? by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed by God and is, was credited for him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right. Thank you, uh, Rico and Pastor Yumiko. Uh, would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift of this congregation, the gift of your body, the church. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit that works and moves among us. And Lord, this morning we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our ears, that, would you, that you would use your word to form us into your image, that by your spirit we would become more like Christ. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness. 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Wellspring family. Uh, my name is David Buchanan. Uh, as Pastor Yumiko said, I uh, married to Ashley, and we have a two-year-old son named William. And unfortunately, they couldn't be here today uh, because William has a cold. So Ashley is slogging it out at home with a fussy, sick two-year-old. Um, she was super disappointed she couldn't be here this morning. Um, I was honestly a little bit relieved because uh, always speaking in front of family members is more, more nerve-wracking than speaking in front of people who are not your family. Um, so maybe, maybe God heard my prayers, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, we moved to Hawaii about uh, just over a year ago from the Boston area. Uh, and we moved here because I took a job teaching um, at Iolani School. And when we moved here, um, we started looking for a church and it was still during COVID and we were having uh, a hard time finding somewhere because everyone was still online and we didn't know anybody here. Uh, and it just so happened that uh, Michael and Catherine Lamusio, uh, who also attend here, invited us over to their house to watch one of Wellspring's services on Zoom. And we thought, well, it would be nice to meet people in person, but Zoom sounds good and we'll be with other people. So we went over and when we lived in Massachusetts, we were attending a evangelical covenant church, just like Wellspring. And when we moved here, our intention was not to find another evangelical covenant church. We, you know, I mean, we liked that church. Uh, we thought it was great, but we weren't, you know, specifically looking for that denomination. And we didn't know that Wellspring was an evangelical covenant church until on the Zoom video, we saw Pastor Yumiko's face pop up. And we recognized her from when she was a pastor uh, back in Boston, when we were also there. So we were like, is that, is that Pastor Yumiko from Boston? We're like, I don't think so. That can't be right. And throughout the entire service, we, we were like, every time she would pop on the screen, we were like, no, I'm pretty sure that's her. And so at the end of the service, you know, we, we asked, and it was, and that kind of blew our minds. Um, and I think in some ways, we kind of took it as a, a sign from God that this must be the, uh, the church that we should be at. Um, so we've been attending Wellspring for just about a year, like Pastor Yumiko said, and it's just been a huge blessing for us and for our family. Um, and it's, it's really an honor to get to share um, from God's word with you this morning. So thank you for, for having me. Um, as I was preparing for today's message, it's been several years since I preached, since I was in seminary, and I was, I was reading the commentaries and I was reading the passage and I was reminded at how hard Paul can be to understand, how strange Paul uh, sounds sometimes. And as I was thinking about it, I, I, I came across this verse um, from 2 Peter, and I was kind of encouraged, right? If you've ever been confused by Paul or thought that he was difficult to understand, uh, it turns out that even the other apostles thought Paul was a little difficult to understand. So this is from 2 Peter, and, and Peter says, Just as our brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave to him, now his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Uh, and I figured if, if Peter, the apostle, also thought that Paul was a little bit confusing, then we can all kind of give ourselves some grace if we find him a little difficult too, right? Um, so hopefully, my hope for this morning is that we can demystify at least some of what Paul is saying and um, really understand the message that he has for us in, uh, in Galatians 3. Uh, so if we're going to summarize the basic 
um, the basic point or the basic issue of Galatians, which is a little tricky to do, uh, I think it would be this, right? The question of Galatians is, um, who is a member of the righteous community? And by righteous community, I know that's kind of a, a strange phrase. Um, by that, I mean, uh, who are the people who have been reconciled to God, who live in an ongoing relationship with God, and who are continually conforming their lives to the will of God, right? Who is a member of that group of people? And in the letter to the Galatians, there are basically two groups, right? On the one hand, there are Jewish Christians uh, at the churches in Galatia who are saying, okay, look, these non-Jews who are in our churches, they put their faith in Jesus, they accepted the gospel, uh, and that's great. But in order to be official members of this righteous community, they need to also keep the works of the law, especially circumcision, right? And on the other hand, we have Paul, who is giving a very different answer. Paul is saying very emphatically, no, that's not right. These Gentile Christians, these non-Jews who've accepted the gospel and put their faith in Jesus, there is nothing more they need to do to be members of God's people, right? That is it. And uh, Paul makes this point extremely emphatically, right? That's, that's the, the whole thing that he's driving at throughout the letter to the Galatians. Um, but I think because we read Paul, right, as being the, the good guy, uh, because we read Paul as the one who is right, uh, as the one who is writing scripture, and because Paul argues his points so uh, passionately, there's a temptation to view his opponents as being ridiculous, absurd, uh, stupid, however you want to describe them, right? We, we tend to really view Paul's opponents uh, in a really negative light. But I think to understand the radical message that Paul has in Galatians, we have to understand what is in many ways the traditional conservative position of his opponents, right? The common sense position of his opponents. And I think a, a good way to do that is to look back at um, some other scripture, right? Some scripture from the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, when God enters into a relationship with Abraham and with, with Israel, he makes it super clear to Abraham, right? You must keep my covenant. And the way you keep my covenant, the way you are a member of the righteous community, the way you are my people is by being circumcised. And, and God is not, you know, in this passage to Abraham, God is not ambiguous about this at all, right? He says, if you want to be a member of the righteous community, if you want to be part of the covenant, you must be circumcised. So if you are uh, someone who's living at the same time as Paul, if you're a Jew, you read this and think, okay, it's, it's pretty straightforward, right? God said you have to be circumcised. And again, uh, in Exodus, when God is speaking to Moses and the people of Israel about what they need to do to maintain a relationship with him, to maintain their, their status as the people of God, God is equally clear, right? He says, if you want to be my people, you must keep my covenant by obeying the law, right? 
it's not, it's not ambiguous. God says, if you want to be a member of this community, you must follow the law. And so if you are uh, a Jew, uh, uh, a Jew who reads the scriptures at the time of Paul, um, you read these verses and think, well, this really couldn't be more clear, right? You have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law, Paul. That's what God says. But Paul is seemingly going way off the rails and saying, actually, you don't need to do those things anymore, right? You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to keep the law. And that's a really bizarre thing for Paul to say in light of how clear these verses are, right? So the question is, how can Paul say something that is so strange, so contrary to what seems to be written in scripture, right? At the end of Galatians, Paul will even say, uh, now neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, right? How can he say that? Uh, The answer, I think, in the words of um, the biblical scholars REM, is that it is the end of the world as we know it. Um, (laughs) I, I, when I was kind of rehearsing this with Ashley, my wife, she was like, what is that supposed to be? Who's REM? I was like, oh no, no one knows who REM is. But I, I think I told her that was, that's just you. Everyone knows who REM is. So, uh, (laughs) hopefully, hopefully that, that joke made sense. Um, but, but jokes aside, Paul actually does think that the world as people had known it up until his time, uh, has come to an end, right? Uh, He believes that circumcision and the law belonged to that old world that no longer exists. And I think that sounds really bizarre, right? Um, But to understand what Paul is saying and why he is saying it, it's helpful to know that in the Judaism of Paul's day, there was a very widespread belief based on the words of the prophets in in the Old Testament, that one day God would do something radical, that God would break into history in a earth-shattering way, and that the world as it had existed would um, cease to exist, right? Um, This new world that God would bring about would have no more evil or injustice or death or corruption, It would be a world in which God's people would be glorified, that God's people who had been martyred for their faithfulness would be resurrected, and that God's presence would cover the earth, right? And this was a hope that many Jews of Paul's day shared, this belief that God would break into history and bring about a new world. And it turns out uh, that Paul thinks that this is basically right. Uh, Paul agrees with the general idea that God is going to bring about a new world. The difference is that for Paul, uh, this earth-shattering, world-changing event was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, And so for Paul, the death and the resurrection of Jesus have done away with the old world and brought about a new one, right? This is exactly what Pastor Yumiko was referring to in her her first message on Galatians two weeks ago when she talked about how that for Paul, the gospel is about a new creation and not just about, you know, individual salvation, being saved. For Paul, it's so much bigger than that. 
So Paul thinks a new world, a new creation, as Pastor Yimiko said, has come. But unlike his contemporaries, unlike many Jews of his day, Paul says that it hasn't been a, a radical break, right? Paul says that the realities of the old world and the new are still somehow overlapping, as you can see in this, in this little diagram. And because of this, uh, Christians, people who put their faith in Jesus, live in this kind of in-between realm, right? This, this middle place where the old and the new creations intermingle with one another, right? On the one hand, they continue to live and to suffer in this world of sin and death, and yet they also share in the life and in the resurrection and in the, the laws of the new world, right? Of the world that Jesus brought. Uh, and I think, you know, whoops, this idea can be a, a little bit, well, first of all, hard to believe, right? Like that Jesus has really brought about some kind of fundamental change in the world because we look around us and it seems pretty apparent that the world is a very corrupted, very dark place, right? There's still so much suffering and evil. And so Paul's message that, that Jesus has created this new world or is creating this new world, that can be really difficult for us to wrap our minds around, for us to believe is true, right? Um, but I think this kind of already not yet idea is really wonderfully expressed in this this movie, this book, uh, by the author C.S. Lewis, right? Um, the story, for those of you who, who may not be familiar with it, takes place in a world of suffering, uh, which is stuck under the power of a, of a, a powerful sorcerer right, named the White Witch. Uh, and it is literally frozen in, in her grip. And the story is about the defeat of this witch by the true king, uh, of Narnia, Aslan, right? Uh, when Aslan returns to Narnia, the power of the white witch's grip on the world begins to diminish, right? I don't know if you remember from the movie, when Aslan returns to Narnia, the snow begins to melt, uh, flowers begin to bloom, new creatures, new and good creatures begin to emerge, right? It's clear that the world is changing, with Aslan's arrival. And the decisive moment in the story is when Aslan is killed by the White Witch and rises again. And in rising again, he fully breaks the witch's authority and reign over Narnia. Right? But even after he breaks the power and the authority of the witch, there are still battles to be fought. Right? It's true, right? With Aslan's return, and his victory, the world of Narnia is a totally different place under a totally different power. But there are still battles. Evil still tries to rear its head. The white witch still tries to assert her authority. Even though the world is different, even though the evil power of the witch has been broken, evil itself still exists. And if, you, if any of you have ever read all of C.S. Lewis's stories of Narnia, you know that it's not until the very, 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 very end that evil is finally and totally destroyed. I think that that's a really good way of understanding how Paul thinks the world is new through Jesus, 
Yes, there's still evil. Yes, there's still suffering. But after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the world is a fundamentally new place that is ruled by a fundamentally new power, right? Uh, So this brings us to our first point in your sermon notes, and that is that Jesus' death and resurrection has made the world a fundamentally new place, right? Uh, I think that this is, this is very similar to what Paul is saying, right? Uh, that because of Jesus, the world has changed. And all of this, right, this, you, know, you might be thinking, I thought this was a sermon on Galatians, but he hasn't talked about Galatians yet, right? All of this is the background to what Paul is going to say in Galatians 3, right? So let's go to Galatians 3 now. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Paul is really, um, you know, very clearly frustrated with the Galatians. And that phrase, who has bewitched you? That's like literally, who's putting this voodoo on you to make you think and act the way you are acting? Because there's no way you're in your right minds if you're doing this stuff, right? He's saying someone's got to be putting some kind of magical curse on you to make you do this. Uh, and then he says, I, I love the way that Paul says this. He says, I'm just going to ask you one thing. I just have one question for you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by faith? Right? Did you receive the spirit through the works of the law, through what you did, or did you receive it by believing the gospel? And this is, you know, obviously a rhetorical question because the Galatians know that until they had faith in the gospel, they did not have the spirit. It was clearly not works of the law that made that happen for them, right? And so Paul is saying, if it was through faith that you received the spirit and not through works of the law, then we can confidently say that faith is better than works, right? The coming of the spirit is the proof that faith has replaced the works of the law, right? But But Paul goes beyond this, right? And he says that if you receive the spirit and were saved through faith, why now are you trying to continue your Christian life? Why now are you trying to conform your life to God's will by following the law, right? He's saying, even even if you believe that it was faith that made you righteous, why are you now trying to keep the law in order to become more like Jesus. So the issue is not only whether it's faith or works that that saves you, right? That makes you right with God and brings you into God's community, but also whether it is faith or works of the law that helps you continue to live a life aligned with God's will, right? And here, I think following the law seems to make a lot of sense. Do you want to align your life with God's will and standards? Great. He outlined it in the law. Keep the law and you will do that, right? Uh, I think this is basically the answer that a lot of Christians might give, right? Certainly a version of it was the impression that I had uh, growing up in a a Christian family. Often I, I think that people who have been around evangelical evangelicalism or Christianity for a while are really well acquainted with the idea that salvation is by faith alone and not 
through any works that you can do, right? Not through works of the law. And Paul thinks, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's his first point in Galatians. But after initially believing in the gospel, entering into this relationship with Jesus, there is a temptation to act as though the role of faith stops, right? You get in through faith, but then that's, that's kind of it, right? Once you enter into God's community through faith, you progress and grow through your own efforts, through following the rules, right? You work hard to make yourself conform to whatever image of a good Christian you have set before you. But here in Galatians, Paul is saying something totally different. Not only, he says, do you enter into the community of the righteous through faith, but faith is also the means by which you continue to grow in righteousness. Your own efforts to become like Jesus through keeping the law, through keeping rules are futile. You can't do it. Paul says that the transformation into the image of Jesus only comes through the power of the spirit, which is a gift of faith. And here again, Paul's argument, what he is saying is based on his belief that, the, that Jesus's life, death, and resurrection has made the world a fundamentally new place. Right? Before Jesus, God gave his people Israel the law. And Paul thinks the law is good, right? God gave it to Israel so that they could align their lives with his will. So Paul doesn't think the law is evil, or the law is bad in and of itself. It was given by God as a gift. But the problem is that try as they might, Israel kept failing to keep the law. Right? They couldn't do it. They couldn't align themselves with it. They couldn't make themselves righteous through keeping the rules. And the problem of their inability to keep the law was so apparent that Israel's prophets said that one day uh, God would pour out his spirit and that he would make them follow a law that was not written on pieces of paper or on stone tablets, but they would follow a law that was written on their hearts, right? Ezekiel says it this way, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When the prophet Ezekiel is saying this, he's talking to a people who are suffering because they have been unable to follow God. And Ezekiel is saying, one day when God makes the world new, he's going to put his spirit in you. And then you will keep the law because it is written on your heart through the spirit. And Paul thinks that this promise in Ezekiel has become a reality through Jesus, right? Now, through faith, Christians receive the gift of the spirit. And it is this gift of the spirit that transforms their lives into lives shaped like Jesus. So do Christians exhibit a certain set of ethics? Do they follow a certain set of morals? Yes, of course, right? But they exhibit these characteristics not because after believing the gospel, they set about willing themselves to become moral people. No, the faith with which they believed the gospel is the faith which gives them the spirit of God. 
who transforms their lives into ones marked by the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, right? So this is our second point for the morning. Christians are not just saved by faith. They are transformed by faith. Faith and grace are not just the beginning point of the Christian life. They are its constant foundation. I I would encourage you to think about for yourself, how do you find yourself thinking about your relationship with God? Do you think about becoming like Jesus as something that you create in yourself through hard work, self-discipline, effort, doing the right things? You know, for myself, uh, my parents were missionaries, full-time missionaries. And so I grew up um, in a Christian family, surrounded by almost exclusively other Christian families. And my self-understanding as a kid and into my teenage years was that self-discipline and effort were the keys to spiritual growth. I I don't think that anybody ever told me that in those exact words, but from just looking around and observing what I saw and what I heard, that was the message that I received, right? The more disciplined you were, the longer you could read your Bible. The longer you could read your Bible, the better of a Christian you became. Uh, The more disciplined you were, the more Bible verses you could memorize. The more Bible verses you could memorize, the better of a Christian you became. The more disciplined you were, the more ministries you could do. The more ministries you could do, the better of a Christian you became, right? No one ever told me that's how it works. But implicitly, it seemed that everyone was saying that's how it works, right? Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with with reading your Bible or memorizing scripture or serving in ministry. The problem was not that I was doing those things. The problem was that I had the belief that those things alone would change me into the image of Jesus. If I read the Bible more, if I served more, if I memorized more, those things would create Christ-likeness in me. But the good news of the gospel is that because of what Jesus has done, because of this new world brought about by his life, death, and resurrection, transformation into the image of Christ is a work of the spirit in you, not your own self-discipline. Those good works, those things that we do, they're not transformative in and of themselves. They're transformative because they provide the means for the spirit of God to work in your life and to transform you. Say that again, that those things that we do, they're not transformative in and of themselves. They're transformative because they provide the means, the vehicle, the way for the spirit of God to work in your life by faith to transform you. Uh, I would encourage you to spend some time thinking about the ramifications of that truth for your own relationship with God. How might trusting God's spirit with the transformation of your life change the way you view your relationship with God? How might it change your approach to spiritual practices or disciplines? Not as something that you do to change yourself, but as a way to allow the spirit of God to change you. 
How might it change the way you view the challenges and the disappointments of your spiritual life? No, I think that if we believe that our transformation is all on us, right? Then when we feel like we're far from God, when we feel like we're not making any progress in our spiritual life, it's so discouraging because it's all on me to do it. So either I need to find a way to work harder, to be more disciplined, to to do this or to do that, and then I can kind of pick myself up and move forward in my spiritual life. That's really hard, right? But maybe if it's if it's not all on us, if transformation is a work of the spirit who comes by faith, maybe that changes the way that we experience, the way that we process our own spiritual struggles, our own frustrations and disappointments in our spiritual life. Uh, if Pastor Rebecca, you know, Pastor Rebecca mentioned last week, uh, if you believe that you already belong to God through faith and God's spirit is in you, how does recognizing the transformative power of the spirit encourage you? How does it uplift you? you know, Galatians tells us, that Jesus has made the world new through his life, death, and resurrection. And not only does this change the way we enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus and and not through works of the law, but it also changes the way that we're transformed into the image of Jesus. Not through effort and self-discipline, but through the powerful gift of the spirit that comes by faith. And that is good news indeed. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the newness that was brought about through the life, death, and resurrection of your son. Lord, we thank you that we can live in this new life. We thank you that we can be continually transformed by your spirit, not through any effort of our own, not through our own self-discipline, not through our own will, but through your spirit, Lord. I pray that we would remember that our journey towards wholeness, our journey towards Christ-likeness, our journey towards you is not all on us that it is a gift that comes from you through faith. Pray that you would let that message sink into our hearts deeply, that we would rely on you to be the source of our transformation, the source of our joy, the source of our, our movement towards Christ. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this, this church and the people who are either here or watching online, I pray that you would bless them, that you would continually move all of us closer to yourself by the power of your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen.